a race against time every harvest season. The severe shortage of workers in the kiwifruit industry has sparked a rare move from the government. It's declared a labour shortage in the Bay of Plenty. An extra thousand seasonal workers from the Pacific Islands are helping orchardists in central Otago turn their ripe cherries into red gold. The last thing we want is, is fruit rotting on trees or on the ground. The lack of workers has been causing headaches in the $10 billion horticulture industry for years. But now, with closed borders and no foreign workers coming in, the dire situation has reached another level. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, how do we solve the fruit-picking labour shortage? COVID's changing everything, obviously, including the overseas working opportunities for New Zealanders, so perhaps they can look closer to home for a job where you're working, growing things um, in a very green and beautiful place, um, providing to food to the people of the world. But is it really that attractive? Orchardists and grape growers are backing claims that too many unemployed people aren't up to the task of picking fruit. They say most of those taken on in a trial scheme aimed at getting beneficiaries into work had little enthusiasm for a full day on the job. And after blaming, and I quote, welfare dependency for this crisis just a fortnight ago, Kiwi Fruit Packing Company, a partner, now admits actually its jobs are, and I quote, shit work. They're almost all paid the minimum wage. There's no work if it rains and no work for most of the year. It is challenging for people who typically are not used to the work and that will be one of our challenges this year. We can't shortcut the fact that it's, you know, it is hard work. Hard work and low pay. Later I'll be talking to an engineer who thinks robots could be part of the answer. Companies see that they can't put people together in factories or in orchards too much because of the problems with COVID. But first, we'll talk about the elephant in the room with Richard Palmer, who's the chief executive of Summerfruit New Zealand. It's well documented that fruit picking is not an attractive job, and recent newsroom stories exposing worker exploitation will not have helped. The stories detail threats to withhold plane trips and allowances. I asked Richard whether that's made things more difficult in the industry's quest to find more workers. Um. Yes, a, a number of cohorts that we've engaged with have um, expressed concern about that, um, and and we express the same concern. And you know, any any employer that I talk to finds it unacceptable as well. Um, you know, particularly in the RSE program, which we've worked really hard as an industry to make um, both to sustain it over a long period uh, and to make it attractive. Um, and meet not just our legal but our sort of moral obligation to make it work for everybody. Um, you know, disappointing to see that sort of thing happen. You know, um, it, it happens everywhere. There's, you know, there are people who do the wrong things, but that, we certainly don't condone it, and we don't want to see that behaviour. Interesting. One of the um, I did a straw poll with a grower um, meeting in Hawke's Bay recently. And we have uh, a couple of social practice programs across the industry, one under uh, Global Gap, which is a farm level uh, certification scheme, so a social practice standard. And also uh, Horticulture New Zealand runs New Zealand Good Agricultural Practice Scheme, which has its, uh, and I was involved in setting up a social practice um, grower accreditation there that uh, nearly all of the growers in that room had some form of social practice accreditation to, um, which is you know, an audit of making sure they're meeting all the legal requirements so the contracts are complete, etc. having a look at how their worker representation, their health and safety, all of those things work. So I was, I was really pleased to hear that um, 
so many growers had an independent audit of their social practice in place. Um, and I think that reflects generally the grower thinking about the need to make sure that we, we are engaged to uh, stamp out bad practice across the industry. So do you have confidence in the industry that that is an exception, those stories that came to light? Uh, I do, yep, yeah. I mean, I talk to a lot of growers. I see it in the businesses I'm involved in. Um, you know, we are, we are competing and have been competing for labour um, and clearly you're not in a competitive space if those sort of things are happening. So um, I think it is uh, very rare. I mean, as I say, it doesn't matter what employment you're in, there are... Um, people who who break break the rules, and certainly Aaron, she's very committed to make sure that that, that behaviour is stamped out. Is it then making the actual working environment more attractive? I've read some some ads for strawberry pickers and and fruit pickers, and you know one in particular said most of the work available is paid by bonus piece rate, where you are required to produce enough to earn at least the current minimum wage to retain your position. I mean, that's pretty rough, isn't it? Um, certainly, a lot of the work is on piece rate, and, and that's not so much that, um, that we set rates that are difficult for people to achieve minimum wage on, and clearly there's a top-up uh, if people aren't achieving that. And the opportunity there is actually rewards people for their productivity and their hard work um, and the opportunity to earn quite good money in a seasonal labour space on a piece rate is most definitely there. Um, yes, it is challenging for people who typically haven't uh, are not used to the work and that will be one of our challenges this year. I won't, uh, we, we can't sugarcoat the fact that it's, you know, it is hard work but the opportunity in the summer fruit sector, for example, outdoors in the summer in central Otago and then the opportunity to enjoy the region when you're not working after hours and, and the like uh, is, is a, I think, a really good opportunity for people and a great experience, you know, to meet new people, work in something new, uh, enjoy a region, that has, you know, experience one of New Zealand's regions. But, yes, it is, you know, it is physical work um, outside, certainly for the harvest or inside in pack houses that not everybody will be up for. And, and are we talking most of the time across the industry people are paid minimum wage? Um, typically, it is minimum wage starting work where it's on wages. But, you know, employers, given, given our challenge often to retain people for the season, um, many employers pay bonuses for retention across the season and the like. And there's a whole lot, you know, there's, there's other bits on the site. Some are offering free accommodation on site this year. Uh, in particular, um, if you're on site or an um, employer provided accommodation, free Wi-Fi, all of those things that people uh, have an expectation when they're, when they're in seasonal work are there. Um, and increasingly, uh, wrapping up um, pastoral care like we have for RSE workers, so a package that might include accommodation and transport to, uh, to make it feasible for people. And we have got growers talking about offering free accommodation this year. Um, some of it will just be that there's an expectation people organise their own accommodation. Um, you know, one of our challenges this year with a different cohort of potential employees is looking at different accommodation options. And I was astounded to learn that in central Otago they took in 13,500 extra people uh, during the Level 4 lockdown. They all found a bed. Um, so there are beds out there, and we're encouraging our growers to look at all sorts of options, You know, whether it's neighbours, friends, um, family, uh, bed and breakfast, um, but also the price of rentals and things is coming down in the region as well.
Mm, yeah, because that that would definitely make things a lot more attractive for people if you have a place where you can stay and then also work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it is a real challenge with a big seasonal peak is, you know, what's the, the capital investment and in accommodation for a very short window, particularly for the cherry harvest, for example, is is not feasible. But um, there are, you know, in Queenstown this year, obviously much more broader accommodation options available for seasonal workers. So we're looking at part of that is what are the options in Queenstown and how do we put on transport each day to get people to, to Cromwell or to um, Alexandra to, to help harvest the crop. It's not just cherries in Cromwell or Alexandra waiting to be picked. There's the Hawke's Bay apple harvest, the Bay of Plenty kiwi fruit season, just to name a few. And every year there are more stories about the labour shortage. Traditionally, New Zealanders do make up a proportion of the workforce, but the majority are seasonal workers. We're talking backpackers, those on working holiday visas, and a lot of people from the Pacific on the government's recognised seasonal employer, or RSE programme. The RSE cap was set at 5,000 workers in 2007, but over the years that's continued to grow, all the way to nearly triple that number last year. Richard Palmer breaks down just how important overseas workers are to the industry. In the summer fruit sector, we're about uh, we're about 20% Kiwis, about but under 20% RSE workers. So the remainder is typically backpackers, working holiday visas, and other um, other seasonal workers. So that's 60% is backpackers and other seasonal workers. Yes, yes, seasonal workers from a whole range of backgrounds. So um, picking off firstly uh, the recognised seasonal employer program. And that's been quite a challenge uh, this year in firstly getting people back home and we still uh, have been unable to get everybody home who might have ordinarily gone home. Uh, but of course trying to get them back for the next season. For lots of the summer work in the summer fruit sector in particular, uh, students and other migrants, so backpackers and working holiday visas. And obviously lots of them have gone home, um, but we did get an announcement uh, from the Minister of Immigration to enable... Uh, migrants who are in New Zealand to be able to come and work in the horticulture and viticulture sections to support the harvest. Foreigners with expiring working holiday visas can now move into horticulture. That's about 11,000 people that we estimate at this point who can move into those jobs. If they believe that there's plenty of harvest staff here, where are they? A leading New Zealand fruit harvesting organisation says even with the changes to immigration policy announced, there will not be enough RSE workers in New Zealand to support a full harvest in February. Part of it is nobody actually really knows the numbers at this point until um, for working holiday visas until the, the visa process starts on the 1st of November that the Minister announced. The thing about it is we have a once-a-year opportunity to get the harvest right, and every day that we don't get that right, you know, the crop quality declines, so the overall income and value in the market declines, um, but also that if we don't have some certainty at this point, growers will start to make decisions to um, limit their investment, given they can't see certainty at harvest, uh, in maximising the production of some of their orchards. So they may say, well, actually that block doesn't perform very well. Given the uncertainty of labour at harvest, I might actually leave that. Richard Palmer's hoping that borders will soon be open to Pacific workers. We're working on how we can get RSE workers back for the season as well from the Pacific, you know, which is COVID-free. And given the economic challenges in the Pacific, particularly the decline in their tourism economies, 
I think is fundamental for New Zealand as a, a friend, neighbour and family with the Pacific to make sure we do everything we can there. What has the Minister said on that? Do you think there is the possibility of bringing those workers over anytime soon? It's pretty uncertain at the moment. Do you see, I think, you know, we will be... The question really is what are the options for quarantine on arrival? And we're working through with agencies on what those options might look like. You know, as the number of Kiwis coming back declines, this capacity, some capacity will free up and we're obviously going to end up competing for some of that space with um, others, skilled workers, fishing crews and the like, who will want to come into New Zealand to support those industries as well. So, uh, I, I, you know, ideally we'd like to get everybody back. I think that unlikely, but um, there is an opportunity for New Zealand to show some leadership with COVID-free Pacific and demonstrate our real commitment in our region to support that by uh, thinking outside the box about options to get those workers back. In the meantime, Richard says the industry is leaving no stone unturned in its search for other employees. We're focused on uh, a range of cohorts, so domestic students, international students, unemployed Kiwis, RSC workers, other migrants, retirees and the Motor Caravan Association. And looking at, you know, what are the policy issues? What are the regional challenges? How do we incentivise and attract people? What do we have to do to educate growers um, to take that up? And we're working very closely with the Ministry for Social Development to attract unemployed Kiwis into the sector. I have to say that their team both uh, the local people we work with, particularly in Dunedin and at a national level, have been incredibly supportive about how we can work together to get a, a win-win. You know, that is people who may have become recently unemployed, removing the barriers to get them to head to seasonal work, which is a win-win for the grower, for the industry, for the region and for New Zealand's export-led recovery. Uh, and then we've just been talking to the universities of New Zealand about how we uh, have a broad um, campaign with students to attract them into seasonal labour for the summer food industry. And they're quite interested to help you guys push that message. They're, they're really interested. But the shortage is so bad, even Central Otago's mayor is threatening to roll up his own sleeves to get the job done. I think in terms of leadership, if I'm going to be saying to people in my community, as, as I am on behalf of the industry, um, that we all need to work together in this and that it's all hands to the pump, then the very least I can do is turn up and um, put on a, a floppy hat myself and get out there. That's Tim Cadogan, who's trying to make sure the region's valuable income stream gets to market. It may well be in a packing shed rather than on the trees because um, I'm not as young as I used to be, so they tell me that the packing sheds might be a bit more appropriate for an old fella. Very good. Um, how much does the fruit produce in central Otago, how much does it actually bring to the local economy? Something like 35% of the GDP for, for our economy is in the fruit picking. And when we're at the peak of the cherry harvest, um, it, every, every day is worth about $3.5 million in income. But on top of that, we've got apples, pears, apricots, nectarines and the grapes that make the best pinot uh, in the world. And whether or not you agree with Tim's claim about New Zealand pinot, one thing is clear. The workers are few. We're looking at... At the peak, a shortage of 5,000 workers. Now, Central Otago has about 22,000 people spread over 10,000 square kilometres. 
we've got a population density just slightly higher than Mongolia. We don't have a big city nearby that we can pluck people from to come and work. We just don't have the numbers here. The labour shortage is an ongoing problem. So is it time to look at robots? Bruce McDonald is a professor of robotics at Auckland University and he says that technology has developed a lot over the last few years. Our ability to make mechanisms to do things like grab fruit has increased a lot, so better design and there's better electronics and much better computing and that stuff people call AI now, which is really you know fundamental machine learning technology, has improved a heck of a lot. So we can use that to you know identify fruit and where they are and parts of plants from images and figure out where they are so we know what to do to the plant and where to send the robot arm to do the pruning or or um, harvesting or whatever. Mm. So I think that that basic technology has improved a whole lot, which is what's enabling a lot of what's going on. Designed by US-based Abundant Robotics, this robot's harvesting a section of Hawke's Bay's apples for supermarket shelves. Computer sensors analyse ripeness before a vacuum arm sucks it from the branch. So at the moment they're looking at the robot picking between 10 and 20 bins a, a day and they expect it to harvest uh, up to 40 bins a day in the, in the future. That's about what 10 people can pick a day. Bruce McDonald says the tech, although still being worked on, can now adapt to a lot of different scenarios. A lot of the automation that you need to do in New Zealand, you have to adapt for each each time you do the task, you have to adapt it because the item, you know, the fruit you're looking at is smaller or larger or different shape. But the technology is good now at, at adapting to that with this new you know, advances in technology like the machine learning system. So long as you use that and make it adaptable as you go along, then I think... That's quite possible. Uh, you know, for different fruit, I mean, for strawberries, it's very different from harvesting tomatoes, for example, mm. or apples or kiwi fruit. I mean, kiwi fruit, you don't want the stalk attached. Apples, you do. So you've got to pick it in a way that meets the market requirements, you know, or the storage requirements. Strawberries are hard to pick because you can squash them if you get it wrong. You have to kind of cut the little thing that holds them. There's people working on that all around the world, though, you know, in Japan, on strawberries in Australia and in Korea. And in Europe and the US, tons of people are working on this. So I think those kinds of problems will get solved. Mm. It's just a matter of whether you can get it into the marketplace and whether that scale use of the technology will actually happen. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is that we we do have the technology. The technology is there, the solutions are there, but the problem is trying to implement that in an industry-wide kind of approach. I think approach. so, yeah. And there's a lot of people trying to do that. You know, Agritech NZ is, a, is an organisation of people who have got some government funding as well who are, who are trying to make that happen in New Zealand. And the, the mission is, you know, similar to what we want to do is to make New Zealand export, for, export that technology. So companies here make that kind of technology and export it to the world because that, that's another way for us to improve our economy, not just exporting the fruit but also exporting the technology. So you say... The appetite from the growers is there for this. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. they certainly you know, the, say that to us. Yeah. And the robotics is there. So then, you know, how do we get this investment? How do we get people on board? What what is what is stopping us from being able to do this on a wide scale basis? I don't. I don't think there's anything actually blocking it, but it takes some time and it takes some organisation. So this is bringing together investors 
and com- large companies, you know, like food supply companies who want all this stuff and getting them encouraging growers to use the technology and, and, and then growers getting together, using it and getting used to it and refining it, um, giving feedback to the manufacturers and improving the tech and then I think we'll be getting there. But Bruce is unable to give a time frame of when exactly robotics will be commonplace. Part of the problem is the orchards themselves. Richard Palmer says using robots means changing the way they're planted for accessibility. So a structure that was planted 10 years ago might not be suitable for that. Now it has a capital life of 30 years, so it's very expensive exercise to rip out a 10-year-old structure that's perhaps only been in production for five years and replanted at this point. You know, that's, that's not economically feasible. So adopting robotics is a generational change um, and it's, you know, the solutions aren't there yet. But Bruce McDonald thinks COVID-19 might just be the push to industry needs. All of the robotics news internationally is talking about that, that COVID is speeding up the, you know, robots and automation. And that's because I think it's, you know, companies see that they can't put people together in factories or in orchards too much because of the problems with COVID. And so they're looking to automate more, so more more problems with manual labour. And so more they're looking for more automation. Certainly, I believe that's happening in the US. There's a lot of talk about it. So I think that's very possible if things keep going like they are, you know. But if, if in a year, in, in a couple of years, the COVID has become less of an issue, then it'll depend on what the environment is like. You know, the commercial environment is like at, at the time. So I, I think it's definitely, you know, got the potential to speed up automation there. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to a mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Richard Palmer, Tim Cadogan and Bruce McDonald. Mate wa.